Now listen to these words from 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is God's word. This morning we come to this question, why do you do what you do? I'm going to ask this a number of different ways, but what is your reason for the things that you do or for your life as a whole? What is your ambition? What is your goal? What is your chief objective What are you living for? How often do you even think about these questions? How often do you stop yourself and say, why did I do that? Why did I say that? And and both a, a specific action or something you're leaving undone, or maybe even just looking at the scope of your life and just saying at a very high level, why am I doing anything that I'm doing right now? What am I living for right now? And I I say that we very often don't even stop ourselves and examine why. We're not often introspective about examining and being honest with ourselves about our why. So that'll be the first of three points this morning. I want to talk to you briefly about your default purpose. That's what I mean by that. Just the purpose that you automatically go to if you're not intentional about it. Why are you going to do the things that you do? But then we're also going to look at your designed purpose, and then thirdly, your day-to-day purpose. So Heavenly Father, we pause just to pray and ask you not, not to help us through this outline this morning, but to help us as we go back to 1 Corinthians 10 and a specific situation from which Paul draws these general principles that are incredibly important and incredibly helpful and practical Lord, help us to hear your spirit speaking to us and challenging us, exhorting us, encouraging us, convicting us through these words of scripture and teach us, help this to be practical for Christ's sake. Amen. So point one, again, your default purpose. Now, how many of you, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you, if you're not intentionally thinking through Why am I doing this? How many of you would say you automatically default to substance and depth, something really substantive, something eternal, versus 
some things like these. I listed three S's. We've, we've gone through these many times before, but because most of you are not literally fighting for survival, you're not, you know, and, that, and that's many people's why, by the way, in the world. Many people, if you said, what are you living for? What is your why? They would say, honestly, I am driven by simply staying alive and having some basic sense of security in my life. Now, in the United States, that's not most of us. And so we are thinking about things like what makes me feel safe, what makes me feel significant, or what makes me feel satisfied. So we're asking ourselves questions like this. How can I be more comfortable or what preserves my sense of self in this situation? The idea of significance is, you know, very often, many times you would say, well, I'm living as a people pleaser. I am motivated by the acceptance, the approval, the delight of other people. I need validation, so I'm saying certain things, I'm doing certain things, I'm I'm keeping quiet, I'm biting my tongue sometimes because I need people's approval and acceptance. And the idea of satisfaction is just simply, you know, many of you may say, you know, honestly, my why a lot of the times is I just, I want to be comfortable, I want to have prosperity, like wealth, I want to have health, I want to have good experiences, And you may be driven by, motivated by, it may be your ambition to simply seek the next constant satisfaction. So when I ask this question, like, what's your why? Maybe some of you have given it enough thought that immediately off the top of your head, you can say, well, I know generally this is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Others of you may say, wow, you know, I I haven't really thought about it. I don't know. So I wrote down a couple diagnostic questions for you. Question one, what do you most frequently daydream about? That is when, you know, either you should be working on something else and your thoughts are drifting to something, or maybe you just have moments of silence and you don't need to be doing anything per se. You don't need to be working on anything. You don't need to be thinking some specific thought. And so your mind drifts back to something over and over and over again. That something that you daydream about may be revealing to you what you're living for. Okay, another question, what does success mean to you? Most of you are probably striving for success as opposed to failure. It's just subconscious. You would like to be successful. Okay, so how do you define success? Because how you define what success looks like in your career, in a relationship, maybe even in your participation in a church community, that will be part of your why. That'll be part of why you do the things that you do. Uh, A couple other questions here. If you could only accomplish one thing in life, what would that thing be? Or if you could only be known for one thing in life, what would that thing be? Because generally what you're spending time trying to accomplish or trying to be known for, like this is my identity, this is at my core, that will factor into your why. And then one more. What's the best possible outcome of something you're working on right now? So you can think again of vocationally, um, you can think of something outside vocation, schooling, relationship, even leisure. But what's the best possible outcome? Because you're probably working toward that outcome. That's how you've defined success. That's your why. And as you're starting to like, come to grips with, um, well, here's why I'm doing some of the things I'm doing. My question is, how resilient is your why? How resilient is that? When you explicitly call out, I'm living for this and this and this. How does that sound when you actually call it out? 
I think there, there are many things in our lives, even as followers of Jesus, that we get away with and we just don't think about. But the moment we name them, the moment we say it out loud, this is what my God is, this is what my functional idol is, this is what I'm living for, we realize this is not the expression of true wisdom or faith or character. We may realize this is not something I would deliberately teach my children or the next generation. And if I could not go to my children and say, kids, this is your why. This is what God's calling you to live for. If I don't want to intentionally transmit that goal, that ambition, then why would I be living for it myself? So let's go to the designed purpose. And this is where I go back to 1 Corinthians 10, which Krista read a few moments ago. You're welcome to leave a Bible open there. Just a little bit of background before I get to kind of the two things that Paul says, here's your why. Is it's interesting that he is jumping into the middle of a conversation in the city of Corinth, which is a very pagan, a very carnal, a very idolatrous, a very immoral city in ancient Greece. Okay, so he's preaching, he's teaching, he's writing to this new church of believers, and he's saying, okay, one of the practical issues that you're encountering in this church is... Do we eat meat that's been offered to idols or not? And there's an argument going on in the church because some people say, well, we know that an idol is nothing. There's no real substance to the idol. It's a false god. So what do we care if meat has been offered to the idol? If it's cheap meat in the market and we want to eat it, well, then we're going to eat it. And other Christians are like, no, you can't do that because it's been dedicated to, it's been consecrated to this false god. And you've now turned your back on Jesus if you're consuming this stuff. And so there's, there's a debate. What do we do? And it's interesting that in this context of a practical issue that would touch their everyday lives, where do we go? Who do we dine with? What do we literally put in our mouths, in our bodies? Paul reduces it to this principle that is probably familiar. Many of you maybe have this verse memorized, 1 Corinthians 10.31 where he's summarizing, he's saying, so whether you eat or drink, whether you eat that meat, whether you drink that wine that's been dedicated or not, he's saying that's the context, whether you eat or drink or now whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So your first designed purpose is to seek to glorify God. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying no matter what you're doing, your why is the glory of God. Let me say that again. No matter what you're doing, no matter how specific your thing is, your why, first and foremost, is always to glorify God. And that makes sense if you've learned some of the ancient catechisms of the Christian faith, like the Westminster Catechism. Question one, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the ultimate goal of humankind? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And many of you have that ingrained in your mind. You could say that by rote. You just know that. But I want to pause and say, okay, great. So what does that mean? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I know that. What does it mean? Well, glory is the splendor of something. It's the majesty of something. It's the strength of something. It's the greatness of something. So when Paul says, do it to the glory of, his point is, how are you going to respond to the greatness and the splendor and the majesty of God? How do you respond to that? Okay, so living in Colorado, 
most of you have probably seen this kind of scene at some point. You stand before like beautiful mountain peaks or beautiful glacier ponds, lakes. Um, the other night we were up in Grand Lake and it was extremely dark and extremely clear. Went outside at like 11 and you could see just, I don't know, billions of stars or something. Just stars that you never see down here, just filling the sky. That is glory. That is beauty, that is majesty, that is power, that is splendor. But how do we respond to that? You respond in saying, wow, God, you are so good. God, this is beautiful. You're creative. You're powerful. If this is just one corner of one planet in one universe of all these universes that you've created, you are amazing, God. And what I want you to notice is that as I'm glorifying this scene that God has created, I'm not adding glory to God. What I'm doing is I'm honoring glory. I'm calling attention to glory. Okay, so we use this term to glorify. When I say to glorify God, that means to praise and to honor God and to encourage others to see his praiseworthiness for themselves. That's what it means to glorify. Okay, so let me give you an example. Hockey season just started again a couple nights ago. Our family's super excited. It's been months without NHL, without the avalanche. So it comes back on, okay? And we shoot, we score this goal. And Micah's instinct is like, Mom, you got to see this, okay? Or I do this watching football or, you know, watching sports, is that you see a play, you see a shot, and you're like, that's a crazy shot. Or that save was incredible. That touchdown pass was incredible. That run was incredible. And you're immediately like, you gotta, you got to see this because you know the replay is coming, right? What response do I want? What response do our kids want when they say, Mom, Dad, look at this? They want you to stop what you're doing. They want you to look at what they're looking at. And they want you to say, you're right. That was incredible. Right? So I want to, I want to just observe three things from that illustration. Number one, we are always glorifying someone or something. It is human nature to say, this meal at this restaurant was incredible. I just read the greatest book I've ever read. What a remarkable work of art. I love your outfit. That's the best-looking automobile I've ever seen. My team is the best. My job is the best. My company, my brand is amazing. We are always going through life glorifying one thing after another after another. In other words, we look at its beauty. We look at its splendor. We look at something that draws our attention, and we celebrate it. We praise it. We honor it. We are always glorifying someone or something. Number two, we glorify someone or something out of delight. I mean, if you're sitting here thinking, oh, man, I've, I have to glorify God? What is the chief end of man? Like, what is my duty? I have to glorify God? Just notice, we don't do this with any other object in the universe. We don't think, I have to glorify that shot? I have to glorify that meal or that drink that I had? I have to glorify my job because it's amazing. No, we just instinctively glorify everything else because we delight in it. And the automatic overflow of a heart and a mind that is delighted is glorification. So by the way, what does that say about our absence of giving glory to God spontaneously? It's probably an indication I'm not enjoying him. I'm not delighting him. I'm not doing what the psalmist said. I'm not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. 
And then out of the overflow of his justice and his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness, saying, you guys got to come glorify God with me. Or maybe we're just too busy glorifying other things that we don't get around to glorifying God. But then one more observation, we're always spontaneously calling on other people to glorify what we glorify. C.S. Lewis noted, it's human nature to invite others to praise with us what we are praising, right? Praise often, he would say, feels incomplete until it's expressed. What a shot. And then there's an invitation. Don't you agree with me? Yes, I agree. What a shot. What a meal. What an outfit. What a job. This is the spirit of Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You hear the invitation. Magnifying the Lord is another way of saying let's glorify the Lord. Let's make much of the Lord We're magnifying him. We're calling attention to him. And so now summarizing this point, what does it mean to glorify God? It means you enjoy his glory, his power, his grace, his justice so much. You spontaneously honor and praise him. You shine the spotlight on him. You call attention to him. You magnify some aspect of that greatness in the eyes of other people. And you invite them to see what you're seeing. And you invite them to say what you're saying about God. That's what it means to glorify God. Now, what's interesting is many times there, people just stop with verse 31. This is the end of life. This is the goal. This is the why. Glorify God. But let's just keep going a couple more verses. Verses 32 and verses 30, verse 33. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Now, it'd be wrong to read this as if Paul's saying, you know, I live to be a people pleaser. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying I'm, I'm shifting from one scenario, one situation to the next, and I'm just trying to keep everybody happy with myself. Because you see a parallel here when he says, I'm trying to please everyone. I'm trying to create delight in other people. That he defines that as not seeking my own advantage, but seeking the advantage, seeking to benefit other people in practical, tangible ways is what he's saying. So if the first part of our designed why is to glorify God, that's what we're seeking, then our second part is to seek to benefit others. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why, why do I say the things that I say? Why do I not speak up certain times? Why do I go there and do that thing and I don't go there and do that thing? Why do I seek out that friend group and not those people? I don't try to have a friendship with those people. Why do I spend time and money on certain things and not on other certain things? And I think if we're honest with just practical day-to-day questions like that, we would say, I I don't know, like, this is me. Made me feel better. I mean, going back to those S's that I mentioned earlier, it it makes me feel safe to be around these people and not these people. It makes me feel safe to keep my mouth shut sometimes and to speak up other times, to kind of chime in when everybody else is already saying something, I'll I'll join in. It it makes me feel significant. I get approval of people. I get accepted by the peer group that I want to get accepted by. And what I'm saying is we instinctively are taking care of ourselves. We are instinctively trying to advantage ourselves. And as we shift from one 
work situation to a cultural situation to a social situation to the next to the next to the next. We're automatically loving and caring for ourselves. And by the way, even Jesus assumes that that's the case. And I'm not saying that you should stop loving yourself or stop taking care of yourself. Okay, People who don't provide seasons and moments of self-care and introspection create a whole nother list of problems in their lives, right? If you know people that just, they don't even see their own worth as someone made in the image of God. They don't take care of themselves as my life has value because I reflect the image of my creator. They create all kinds of other problems by doing that. But this is why the Bible says, Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, Again, what is God assuming? He's assuming you already look after your own interests. But in addition to that, it should always be a part of the conversation. It should always be a part of your thinking. I am seeking the common good, not just my own good. Okay, so when I go from situation to situation, let's start with like your calling, your vocation that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I hope each of you finds in life a calling, a vocation, a career path that brings you fulfillment, that brings you joy. And I'm not saying, it, you know, you live on a broken planet, you live in a broken city, you, you work at a broken job. So it's not always going to be delightful. But I hope that on the whole, each of you are able to settle into something that God has called you to and equipped you for, that you're like, I do derive a lot of joy from this. Thank you, God, for this kind of career. But a question for Jesus followers is not just what joy do I get out of this, but it is how am I using my vocation? How am I using the work of my hands or the work of my mind to benefit other people in very tangible ways? Okay, And specifically even the marginalized. Not just benefiting the people who already have all the benefits, but being intentional to benefit and to advantage the disadvantaged, the marginalized, the the ostracized, perhaps. Okay? In the same way, there's nothing wrong with you seeking happiness and fulfillment in life and life experiences. There's nothing wrong with taking resources like time and money and using some of those on self-care so that you're in a healthy place to minister to other people. But how are you seeking the fulfillment of other lives? How are you taking the resources that God has given you and investing in other people? Okay, so let me just summarize these two points. The design why is something like this. Live in such a way that others around you come into contact with the goodness and the greatness of God. Because they're interacting with your life, they're coming into contact with the goodness and greatness of God so that God gets the praise, the glory, the honor, the celebration And these other people are getting the freedom and the satisfaction and the forgiveness and the joy, the benefits which are theirs in Christ. Okay, now I want to test this hypothesis real quick with with four simple things from Scripture. Okay, Matt, you're saying that my design, why? If I live for nothing else, I am to glorify God and to seek the benefit of other people. Let's test that, okay? First of all, and there are four of these, first of all, this is what Jesus lived for. 
So John 17, verses 1 through 4, you have this famous high priestly prayer. So Jesus is about to go to a cross. He's about to lay down his life. He's praying to the Father. And this this powerful prayer that I encourage you to read leads off like this. When Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And Jesus is not saying, I added to your glory. He's saying, I celebrated, I drew attention to your glory. You had this redemptive plan from ages past, but by coming to earth and doing what you called me to do, as painful and as costly as dying on the cross for our sins was, he's saying, I came to glorify you. But then in Mark 10... Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And then these famous words, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So in Jesus' own words, he's saying, why? What's the why of my life? What is my earthly ministry and existence? What is it all about? It's all about bringing glory to the God God above, to the Father. And seeking and serving the needs of other people. Okay? This is what Jesus lived for. We're still testing this hypothesis. Number two, this corresponds to the first and greatest commandment. So Matthew 22, 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that is Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these Two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what's Jesus saying? The entire law of God, everything that God commands you to do, boils down to this. Love God, or another way to say that, is to glorify him, to enjoy him, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. To seek their benefit the way you already seek your own benefit. Okay, this is still working. Number three, this is the purpose of your God-given gifts. So in 1 Peter 4... 10 and 11, as each has received a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you hear it again. What's he saying? Why did God give you gifts? Why did God give you unique abilities? So you could be like, look at my thing. My thing's awesome. Aren't I great? No. He's like, it's, it's all about ministering to, serving, advantaging other people for the glory of God. And then one, one more test, one more validation of this. This is the ultimate aim of the Great Commission. So in each of the Gospels, before Jesus returns to heaven to prepare a place, he says, he says, here's your commission. Here is your mission in life. If you're a follower of me, if you're an apprentice of mine, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Why? 
well, just to make disciples. You know, just to get more people out of hell and into heaven. Just to get more people their ticket to heaven when they die. No, he doesn't say that. The, the why of the Great Commission is that as Jesus is saving more and more people, as they hear about the good news, then God is glorified, Jesus is glorified, and these people are getting the joy. That's why so often a mission statement sounds like, you know, we are, we are making disciples. We're committed to making disciples for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And again, you hear your why. Okay, so one final point. So I'm saying your design purpose, seek to glorify God. Seek to benefit other people. Now, day-to-day purpose. What I mean by day-to-day purpose is let's just be practical here in closing for a few minutes. Um, I think one of the biggest gaps in the Christian life for all of us is the gap between our stated beliefs and our functional beliefs. So most of you would probably say, yeah, yeah, like I agree. The chief end of man is to glorify God, seek the good of other people. Great, that's my why. But then we functionally live very differently. Moment by moment, our ambition, our dream, our goal, our objective is not that. So that's what I mean when I say there's a disconnect between what we state as our beliefs. And I believe they really are your beliefs. But then we get busy with life and life just happens and we default to this other thing. Okay, so, and by the way, it happens even in Christian ministry. So here's a little test for you. Go serve someone really sacrificially for the glory of God and for the joy of that person and don't tell anyone and see how that feels. Do this thing and don't post it on Instagram. And I've actually had a pastor tell me, even recently, why would we waste a perfectly good opportunity to get our brand out there? And the brand wasn't Jesus. The brand was self. Okay. I think even in Christian ministry, we need to stop photobombing Jesus. Where we say, oh, my why, you know, it's church ministry. So it's all about the glory of God. And it's about, you know, lifting up the broken and helping the poor and, 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 and participating and advantaging people with my life. That's what it's all about. And then we're like, Nailed it, right? And it's up on the social media feed. And I just, I was talking with Marty over the weekend, and I was like, can you imagine if the disciples had some of the tools we had today? And Jesus is just doing these miracles and very often leaving and saying, don't tell people I'm the Messiah. I have this secret for now, but I'm glorifying the Father. And I'm, I'm, I'm advantaging all these other broken people with my life. That's what my life is about. And the disciples would be like, don't waste this opportunity. Click, hashtag miracle, hashtag signs and wonders, hashtag the Messiah, Hashtag oops, hashtag the, the messianic secret, hashtag let's roll, hashtag, you know, and it'd just be like, that's how the disciples would have done ministry. And what it so often does, and I'm just saying let's be careful, what it so often does is it turns the spotlight back actually on self. Look at me, look at us, look at our thing, instead of truly being like, it is for your glory, God, and it is for the joy of all people. So that's why I'm saying our day-to-day purpose, so that we, we connect our stated beliefs with our practical, functional beliefs. And I also want to give you this point in closing, because I think it's so easy to remain so general and so theoretical with stuff like this. Oh, yeah, live for the glory of God. And then you're going to walk out of here and be like, well, what does that mean? I mean, I know what he said. I know he said what it meant, but like, how do I do that? So let me give you four things here in closing. Number one, 
Identify what resources you have to steward. Okay? Your resources are opportunities day after day after day to live out some purpose. They are tools to leverage to accomplish your goals. Okay? For example, your time is a resource. We all have 24 hours in a day. But it probably doesn't look or feel like that because you look at one person, you're like, how are you so productive with 24 hours? Well, maybe because they're trying to be productive. And you may look at your own day, or maybe you flip this around, but you're just like, I, don't, I just aimlessly wandered around. And before I knew it, another day was gone, just wasted on myself or wasted on, like, I don't even know what because I wasn't intentional about it. So I'm saying, Look at your resources. I would literally list these out, like a resource of time, a resource of physical energy, emotional energy, money, my possessions that God has blessed me with, vocation, work, spiritual gifts, natural ability, experiences that God has put in my life. These are all resources, okay? So that's A, very simple, make a list. B, secondly, conduct regular self-assessments. And I'm going to say zoom in on these and then zoom back out. So zoom in. What, is it, what do I mean zoom in? I mean go through that list of resources and say, okay, with my time, how am I leveraging my time to make much of Jesus Christ? How am I using my time today to seek to advantage someone else with the way I'm investing my time? And then I go to my money. What did I do today with my money to draw attention to, to shine the spotlight on Jesus Christ, his person and work? What did I do with my money today, not just to advantage myself, but also to advantage other people? And I'm going through my resources, okay? We're asking other questions as we're zoomed in. What did I live for in my work today? And I would call it out, not just your work day, but, you know, look at your job. As I wired that thing, what was I living for right then? As I taught that class, what was my why? As I led that project, what was my why? As I took that Zoom call, what was my why? And really break it down of like, why now? Why now? Why now? Why now? Why am I doing what I'm doing with a typical day in my life? And stop and self-assess. You do this with your money. Why did I make that certain purchase? How does that glorify God? And maybe it glorifies God in the fact that you bought something nice to feed yourself and your family, and as you did that, you were genuinely like, God, thank you for your gifts. You are such a gracious creator. You're so kind. But going through your money and saying, how is my money being leveraged to glorify God, to bring joy to other people? Then when I get to energy, I mean, you could say, why am I, why am I wasting so much energy and emotional energy on that situation or on that person how does that glorify God and how does that actually benefit anyone, okay? But then zoom out. And what I zoom out, look at the big picture. You know, we're 17 days into a new year. I think sometimes it's just good to step back and say, big picture, if I looked at my calendar, if I looked at my credit card statement, what's my why so far this year? Two and a half weeks in. Just big picture, high level, right off the top of my head, what am I living for? And I invite you in the gospel community questions this week. Write your own diagnostic questions that help you dig into your own heart and figure out your why. Because you'll find a couple questions that you can write on your own that you're like, when I stop for five minutes at the end of the day to journal or even just to think through, if I'm asking and answering that question honestly, I'm going to get to my why really fast. Okay? So you're making the list. You're going through it, self-assessment. Thirdly, acknowledge your default why. 
to someone else and give them permission to ask you about it. Ooh, that's scary. Christian community. (laughs) Acknowledge your why to someone else. Get a friend in your life, a spouse, someone outside your household, someone in your gospel community group. You know, this is James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And when we hear James 5.16, you're like, okay, so if I sin against you, I should come to you and confess that I sinned against you. Yes. But this is way more than that. This is not simply, he, he uses a word, just, just acknowledge. And it's not even acknowledge a specific sin. You can acknowledge a habit of sin or a pattern of sin or a philosophy of sin, a pervasive sin in your life. And what that looks like is going to a friend and saying, I realize if I'm not paying attention to it, my why just goes back to being a massive people pleaser. Like I just, I'm desperate for people to think well of me. And instead of making decisions that genuinely glorify God and benefit this person, I'm just rolling over and saying what I know that person wants me to say so that they leave me alone or so that they affirm me, they validate me. Like, can you help me watch for that in my life? And when you think you see it, I give you permission to come talk to me about it. You know, come graciously, come humbly. We don't all have this figured out. But that's what I mean by acknowledge your default why to someone else and give them permission to ask you about it. Then finally, learn from the best practices of others. Okay, you don't have enough time in life to make all the mistakes, so read. Read journals, read articles, read books. Get in a gospel community where you get to learn from other people who are telling you, this is my why, this is what I struggle with. And you can hear them and be like, wow, I maybe never would have called that out, but I can see how I do the same thing. Like soon when we're able to do vocational communities, I think this will be an incredibly helpful way of learning from the best practices of others. That you're like, I'm an attorney and I'm with this group of attorneys or I'm an accountant and I'm with this group of accountants. I'm an electrician and I'm with this group of blue collar workers who have unique challenges to living out the mission of Christ in life in a specific field of study or vocation. So get with people where you can talk about these things and pursue the mission of Christ. Don't you love how Paul takes 1 Corinthians 10, again, going back there. He takes a confusing, contentious situation, a practical, everyday situation, and he addresses that specifically, but then he gives you these general principles. And I end this way because I think this is so much of the Christian life is that we're in situations where we're like, the, way fo- the one right thing I'm supposed to do is not clear to me right now, God. I'm not sure what I should do. But if you had these two big guiding lights in your life where you're like, I don't know specifically what to do. What's the next right thing to say? But you had this guiding light of, well, what glorifies God? What shines the light on the majesty and the splendor and the power and the grace and the justice of God? And then this second light of like, what is seeking the benefit and the advantage of other people probably the disadvantage in this situation rather than just seeking your own good. And I think if we just throw these two huge lights on the confusing and the the conflict-ridden areas of our life, we'd be like, okay, God, I don't know that this is the one right thing that you wanted me to do, but this is a wise thing. This is a, a right and a good thing. This is a thing that expresses your love for this person. Let's go.